Now if you take out your Bibles and remember that we here as Calvary Chapel do something fairly unique left in the world of Christendom. We study God's word chapter and verse. We don't skip over anything. Uh, We don't jump ahead. We don't generally teach topically, especially here on Sunday mornings. And so we're in the book of Philippians and we're simply coming to the next couple of verses. And in our remaining time, I, I almost find it humorous the way God works to bring us to a passage when we've had a visit from Westboro Baptist Church. If you had an opportunity, if you got here early, you, you saw some folks sitting out there on the, on the curb, quite frankly, pathetically misrepresenting the Lord Jesus Christ. What they say and what they do is neither Baptist nor is it of the church. And so I would prefer that they simply call themselves Westboro. But they call themselves the church. And so God in his gracious humor to us has given us a passage of scripture that we can look at this day that draws attention to the very problem. You see, because God hates sin. God does not in any way, shape, or form hate sinners. Matter of fact, Jesus specifically came into this world that the world through him would be saved. And he came while we were yet still sinning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? How many of you were a sinner when you got saved? Raise your hand. Yeah, you all were. There is no way to clean up your own mess. There's no such thing as something that you can do to garner God's favor. You sit here today and you are redeemed of the Lord. You're redeemed by grace and through faith. You are not redeemed because you come to this church. You're not redeemed because you know your Bible. You're not redeemed because you're a missionary. You're not redeemed because you give. You're not redeemed because you teach Sunday school. You're not redeemed because you're a pastor. You're not redeemed because you simply pray. You are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God. Amen? And that comes to you by grace, God's unmerited favor, through faith. The vehicle whereby you get that gift is a gift to you. Because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 clearly states that we can't even boast about the faith that we've been given to believe. That's how hopelessly lost we are without Jesus. And so as people like the Westboro group gather on sidewalks to protest what God is doing in the church and they say things, Like God hates homosexuals. God does not hate homosexuals. God does not hate adulterers. God does not hate liars or bitter people or alcoholics or anybody else. Jesus very specifically died to set you free from that sin. He simply hates the sin, not the sinner. And so the Apostle Paul turns our attention, verses 1 and 2 here in Philippians 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. 
For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. He's told them to rejoice before. He's reminded us of how we get saved before. He's instructed the church on what we ought to be and how we ought to be it as God's people. And then he says, beware of dogs. This is not something against the canine world, okay? It's speaking of those who speak heresy. He goes on, just in case we don't get it, beware of evil workers. Those who present a false gospel. And beware of the mutilation. Cutting up the truth, altering it, defiling it. And in doing so, he's going to draw attention to false teaching. I will tell you that I will be doing this in some great detail tonight. As we look at the parable of the wheat and the tares, and I encourage you to come back for that. Paul himself speaks against heretical teaching. You see, when we think of these verses, you know, when when we say out loud things like, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word, world, is very, very, very important, especially in light of what happened today here. And I want to encourage you and cause you to be strengthened that God would do a great work in this place today as we combat that lie with the truth. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. I pray that you would just give me a great tenderness and a great sensitivity and yet great power to speak forth your word in truth as we study. We ask these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. You see, I, like the Apostle Paul, can absolutely, without any qualification, state exactly what he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He said, this is a faithful saying, it's worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am, Paul was, I am, you are, chief, top. When the apostle wrote those words to Timothy, he was nearing the end of his ministry. He was not a new believer, he was not unsaved, and yet he talks about his own life in the context of being present tense, active, still a sinner in need of a savior, in need of God's grace. Family, we we are sinners who are saved by grace. Amen? He uses the word world there. It's the same word that's used in John chapter 3, both Verse 16 and 17. We already know what verse 16 says. 17 adds great detail. For God did not send his son into the world. In other words, not just for the elect, not just for the narrow few, not only for people who were saved. Jesus did not only come to this world so that the enlightened ones could be enlightened. 
And the reason we know that is the word that is used here in this text and most of the rest with regard to salvation. He didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Very unique word translated world. Often it's misstated. The the root word is cosmos. But the word that's actually used is cosmon. Cosmon is all of the people in the world. It's all of humanity. It's every last bit of the world that God cares about eternally. You were made in his image. Mankind made in the image of God. In other words, when Jesus came to this world, he did not just come for those of us who end up by grace through faith being saved. He came for every last human being that's ever lived. He desires that the entire world get saved. He's made that abundantly clear. As Paul spoke to the Roman Christians... As Peter would echo, very much the same thing. The apostle writes to Timothy the same thing. He came so that we might have that opportunity, every last one of us to come to faith in Christ Jesus. He came for the whole world. Not a select group of people that stand on street corners with obnoxious signs that do more harm to the body of Christ than anything else. The reason that is so offensive to me, what those people did today, is because there are those who saw that and believe that that is what Christians do. That is neither Christian, nor is it part of the church, and it surely isn't any one of the Baptist folks that I know. That's heresy. Christ came to set people free from the bondage of sin and death. He came into the world. And in that sense, we have all received a grace gift. Let me help you understand what I mean by that. We've already studied Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Amen? We know what it says. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Amen? And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God lest any of us start bragging about how holy we are. Amen? Amen. You ought to get really excited about that. Because I passed some of y'all on the freeway. <laughs> They're on your, you're not, you're not supposed to be yakking on your phone while you're driving down the freeway at 80 miles an hour. You see, we still have those moments where we absolutely need God's grace in our lives. Amen? We're still sinners. We know the right thing. We do the wrong thing. Romans 8, absolute picture of that. You see, we need to understand that we have been saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and nothing else. Amen? It's not because you come here. I pray that we teach God's word and we worship. We minister the truth of God's word and we're actively engaged in spreading the gospel. That's what churches are supposed to do. But your salvation has come by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When Martin Luther echoed those words, 
When he spoke those into existence some 500 years ago, he did so for this very reason. There is only saving faith. There's no such thing as saving works. Works are something you do once you're saved. But you cannot be saved by works. It's an impossibility. And so he says, look, it's God's unmerited favor. In order to receive that unmerited favor, I'm going to give you faith to believe in the only begotten Son of God, for he indeed is, as he said, the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so because of that, we get saved exactly one way. And it's not church. It's a personal relationship that comes to you by faith. By believing in the only begotten Son of God. What he did on Calvary's cross, how he did it, that he was murdered in your place. He laid three days in the grave. He was raised up and he sits at the right hand of God forevermore. And we believe that by faith. And because of it, we're saved. Amen? It's grace. We receive that grace gift. We don't earn that grace gift handed to you, by the way, on a silver platter known as Jesus, the gold of heaven in your place. We just celebrated it at the Lord's table. That's what he did for you and me, all who believe. Paul could have depended on his own deeds. Paul could have looked at his credentials. He said of himself, look, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, a keeper of the law. But that can't save you. It never could. Still doesn't. Because that's works. And by the works of the flesh, Paul would say, no one is justified. I'm not made right in the eyes of God because of what I do. I'm made right in the eyes of God because of what Jesus did for me. Amen? And so he finally says to them, he says, look, rejoice. Who can't rejoice in faith? Amen? You you, you see what he's really saying is, look, you have reason to rejoice no matter where you are on the grand scheme of things. No matter what your life has brought you. You see, because our rejoicing is because of who we are in Christ. I can always be joyful. The the next thing that's going to happen in my life from an eternal perspective is I'm going to be with the Lord. And so he says, rejoice. He uses the word here finally in verse 1. And it doesn't mean what you think it might mean. It can mean that, but in the context here, he's not saying, well, finally, and he's going to give two closing sentences and be done. He's really saying, furthermore, here's some things you ought to remember. And what are they? He says, rejoice. Man, life is tough at times, amen? You, you see, the reason that we rejoice is not because we have great circumstances, not because we have more money than we need. It's not because we have nice cars or houses. It's not because our job pays well. It's not because of the things. We rejoice because we've been given salvation by grace and through faith. Amen? I can always rejoice in that place. You see, the world is very much like the, the, the ocean. 
Look, we, we, I, I don't know how many of you are surfers or you spend time at the beach, but growing up in San Diego County, most every summer was, the entire summer was spent at the beach. And like most everyone else here in Southern California, the reason I have no hair is because I spent all summer on the beach. <laughs> I burned my head into oblivion, killed all of the hair follicles. But you remember those days when you went out, you looked at the ocean and go, yeah, that's a little bit bigger than I really kind of like. But there was those two areas that were safe. One in front of the wave, after the whitewash would go by, and the other one behind the wave before it broke. But there's one place you did not want to be. That was the impact zone. Where every wave comes crashing over, that's where the force of life hits you. You see, sometimes we're on the inside where it's just nice and foamy, and sometimes we're on the backside rolling along with life, and sometimes we're in the impact zone. It is grace, it is faith that gets us through that time in the waves. Because sometimes, it's easy, sometimes just life is rolling along. The wave's gone by, there's not much energy left in it. Sometimes it hasn't quite gotten here, and you're on the backside in the trough, and you're just kind of bobbing along, waiting for the next one. But boy, how many of us today, how many of us this last week, you were right where the enemy is dropping the wave on your head. Amen? Get it? He says, rejoice. He's he's not saying, man, it's so great to get barrel rolled and to look up and not know whether you're going to make it to the surface or not. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I got it. No matter what happens, I got you. Remember one time I just got pummeled. My surfboard's on the surface. My leash is so taut. It's it's purling. It's standing on end. And I can actually see my leash going straight up surfboard, not even visible because it's straight up. I'm like, oh, this is bad. And I just remembered, I got to go that way. The same is true in your life spiritual. you got to go up. you got to look up. You need to rejoice. The way out is the way up, family of God. Amen? It gives you joy. It's inward. It's trusting. It's knowing. You see, I couldn't stop the waves, but I could go up. I couldn't keep it from happening, but I could go up. Inward joy is lasting. It's in spite of your circumstances. It's in spite of the suffering. It's in spite of the height of the waves. So very often, we, we just we look at the waves and we go, man, I'm dead. You've got to look at the one who controls the waves. And there you can rejoice. And Paul says, look, it's no trouble for me to remind you of these things. Because joy is what we need. We need to know the value of joy. When you think about the spiritual tools that we have at our disposal, it's love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self-control. It's those things that are against the law. It's not carrying crazy, vile signs. It's not getting engaged in every single protest movement that comes down the pike. It's resting and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and living a life that's pleasing to him. And so Paul reminds him kind of of some basics. I don't know how many of you watch 
Steph Curry bury that three-pointer in the game against OKC. That guy is just that not even human, okay? <laughs> just saying. Incredible gift. Can I tell you he didn't get that way by watching YouTube videos? He has spent thousands of hours dribbling a basketball behind his back, between his legs, uh, with both hands, not looking. He didn't get to where he makes those assist pass behind his back, over his head, 30 feet away to somebody in the corner because he watched a YouTube video or somebody told him how to do it. He practiced it. You can't bury a shot like that unless you got the stroke, okay? It's still the same deal. you got to do this. If you can't do that, then watching this ain't going to help you. <laughs> Amen? The same is true in your life, by the way, with joy. You can't just go, well, I know I'm supposed to have joy. You can't watch a thing about joy. You need to practice joy. In your life, you need to realize that's part of who you are in Christ. And if you don't practice it, it's not going to be that available to you. So Steph's driving down the court. He isn't thinking, boy, I wonder how to dribble. Should I pull up? Should I not? No, it's second nature. Joy should be second nature to the body of Christ. should be your default setting. It should be what happens automatically because you've practiced it. And Paul just simply reminds him, look, be joyful. Then he goes on to tell him, look, the threat assessment is very high. You need to be aware of a few joy-stealing things. And in closing, and I want to just simply draw attention to these things, he says, beware, be warned, look out for. These are joy thieves, people who are doctrinally unsound to try and steal your joy because they take Jesus and try and add works to it. Look, amen, you're saved by grace and through faith. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus alone. Amen? Yes, if you're a child of God, your life's going to change. Your mind's going to be renewed. You're going to have transformative things that are going to happen. You're not going to be who you used to be. You're going to be somebody else, that new creation in Christ Jesus. That's true. But you're not saved because that happens to you. You're saved before, and that happens as a result. Very different. And now you start walking in the Lord. You see, but dogs, people who have false doctrine, try and tell you, well, you got to do this, you need to do that, you need to be here, you need to be there, you need to own this, you need to own that. There's all kinds of stuff. It's Jesus and. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? So he says, beware, beware of all those evil workers who tell you reliance on the law. You know, he uses the word circumcision here, and it's actually uh, the way he uses it. It's a unique word because you would normally use the Greek word peritome. Peritome is actually the word circumcision, but he actually doesn't use that word. But in English, we don't have another one because the actual Greek word you use here is katatome. And that's the type of mutilation that happens when somebody cuts themselves for pagan gods. He's saying, look, don't cut yourself for pagan gods. Don't try and earn your way to heaven because you can't. You're saved by grace. And you're going to have faith to believe. And so he says, don't follow those kind of evil workers. 
Don't follow people who mutilate themselves hoping somehow they're going to get closer to God. Don't follow people who take up hideous, godless signs and stand on street corners and say that God hates any group of people. God does not hate Muslims. God does not hate Buddhists. God does not hate animists. He doesn't hate people who are in New Age. He doesn't hate anybody. He loves everybody. They're known as the world. He wants them to come to faith in Christ. And we can't get them there by shouting at them. The work of the Spirit is to draw them in love. It is your kindness, David says, O Lord, it's your kindness, God, that has drawn men to repentance. Sure, there's a fear, there's an understanding that I'm doing something wrong, but we do that lovingly. We cause people to know, look, God loves you. So you beware, family of God, of those who teach falsely that somehow you need to earn your way to heaven. Look, it's grace, it's faith, plus nothing. It's a free gift. Anyone who wants it can have it. Anyone who gets it will change. And if you've gotten it and you've changed, you're going to keep changing until you go home to be with Jesus. There's going to be a work that happens when you first get saved, and you're going to go, man, I can't believe. Look what God's done in my life. And then as you get older in the Lord, like me, you're going to look back, and I can't believe God hasn't done that yet. There's still some things that Probably every one of us, if you're honest before the Lord, there's not a single pastor that I know that doesn't have some kind of thing. It's like they will actually tell me, because I'm a fellow pastor, man, I just wish I had a grip on this thing in my life. And sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's hatred towards a parent. Sometimes it's some bitterness or resentment. Something that's still remnant in their life that God is working on that is not yet done. Praise God for grace. Amen? Amen. It's grace by faith plus nothing. Do not forget that. Because that way, everybody can be saved. Amen? Everybody can come that way. If you have to be really intelligent, there's some of us aren't getting there. Okay? Amen. You got to understand Greek and Hebrew? Not happening. You got to go to a specific church, a specific denomination. Not going to happen. That's why it was made simple. God's grace through faith, believing in the only name of the only Son, the only begotten Son of God who came to this world, died on the cross, laid in the grave, was raised three days later, and lives forevermore, making intercession for you so that you might come to Him. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll pray? If you don't know him, we've got a prayer team be over in the prayer room to my left. No more important decision you'll ever make than that one is to believe on his name and be saved. Maybe you've got something, something that's stolen your joy this week. We have dozens of people who love to pray with you. Go see one of them. Spend some time before the face of our Savior. But know this, God loves you. God loves you. He sent Jesus to prove that love, and now you go prove that love to the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. 
that grace is a gift that comes through faith. And that faith is given to us as a gift to believe. God, it's nothing we did. It's nothing we can do. You freely give and we can freely receive. Pray that there's anyone here today that's never professed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That they do that before leaving this building. And then walk with you all of the days of their lives as as you take over directorship, lordship. Father, we pray for those that are walking in that darkness. God, would you reveal uh, the truth to them? Or would you save those people who stood out there today? God, would you reach into their hearts by your grace, convict them of that sin, Lord, cause them to repent before a holy God who loves all of mankind. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for communion, Lord, that we could come to your table is beyond our imagining. Father, we bless you. We praise you. We ask all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.